I was reading an interesting story today about Vladimir Putin apparently signing into law on a, something whereby he gets to keep or Russia will nationalize several hundred airplanes that have been leased by companies, mainly in Ireland, but from around the world. Uh, all their airplanes had to be returned, of course. They can't fly anywhere now. Uh, so that uh, Russia would have to return these aircraft, presumably, to those they leased them from. So Putin apparently has then signed a deal to na or signed a law to nationalize them, therefore, you know, technically allowing them to keep them. Um, it's interesting to see how these sanctions have unfolded because we know they're hurting the Russian economy. Uh, these are unprecedented financial penalties over Russia because of the invasion. Hundreds of international companies have already left. Russia was heavily dependent on international companies for a lot of stuff, especially uh, imported goods, stuff such as car parts, groceries, you name it, a lot of stuff. They just weren't that self-sufficient for a lot of consumer products. So where is it being felt? Consumer prices jumped 2.2% apparently in the first week of the invasion. Food amongst the biggest rises. They were having to restrict the sale of staples after reports of hoarding apparently. Uh, there's certainly a big, uh, been a big increase in stuff like electronics up by more than 10%. Uh, vacations goes without saying. Brands like Apple, Ikea, Nike no longer sell their products in Russia. Russia banks have been removed from SWIFT, the international payment system. So Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Apple, Google Pay, all of them limited services. Russia's central bank overall says the economy could shrink by up to 8%. So if average Russians are paying the cost for Putin's crime, crimes, uh, could that see any support for the war or Putin himself start to decline? Or is there control over, information, over all information in the country enough to make the hardship feel that much less painful, perhaps? Russians are used to suffering. Russians are certainly used to their currency falling apart. but. What about this time? They've been part of a global economy for a while now. They're used to being part of it. Will it be felt the same way? Will it be reacted to the same way over the long term? Well, joining me now to talk about that is Christy Ironside. She's a professor of Russian history in the Department of History and Classical Studies at McGill University in Montreal and author of the book, A Full Value Ruble, The Promise of Prosperity in the Post-War Soviet Union. And she joins me now. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. As someone who studied the impact, you know, studied essentially studied the the Russian and Soviet economy, tell me about the. I mean, we all know just how fast and wide these sanctions have been, but what has been the impact on Russia in in just a few weeks? I mean, in just a few weeks, we've seen thirty years of economic integration unravel very quickly. Um, you know, Russia since 1991 has been increasingly integrating with the world economy. You've had lots of Western firms, not just the stuff that we're, you know, we're seeing in the news a lot about the McDonald's, you know, H&M, uh, Zara, that kind of stuff, but also all kinds of other firms have moved into the Russian market that now we're finding it very difficult for them to do business there. They're finding it very difficult for them to, you know, transfer money between their, their, their overseas operations and are pulling out also for moral reasons. So the economy is increasingly isolated by the minute. One of the things I found fascinating is just how reliant, say, compared to a country like China, just how reliant Russia is on, on imports to provide a lot of basic stuff. This is really true. I mean, I remember um, when I used to do groceries and I was there on research for my dissertation, this is back in the early 2010s, I remember being amazed going into grocery stores and seeing that they were importing carrots from places like Holland. And I thought carrots, you know, you can make carrots in Russia. Um, and that's kind of a silly example, but, but it's really true. They do import a lot. 
Um, one of the things that they've tried to do since 2014, when the first round of sanctions were placed on the Russian economy in the wake of the annexation of Crimea, is they engaged in a lot of import substitution. They really, they really did try to build up domestically the food industry. But it is still the case that they import a lot of things, a lot of components that we might not even think about as well that go into products, chips and things like this, too. So they're very dependent upon imports. So what happens now then? I mean, it feels like the whole economy is about to go off a cliff. It's a really good question. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. I think I think we're going to be seeing a lot of knock-on effects of these sanctions. I think in the short term, of course, you know, people are experiencing this as not being able to buy certain things in the stores. They're also going to uh, experience it in terms of prices going up for other products because now there's pressure on other producers. So they're going to see that. But also, I think we're going to see a big wave of unemployment as well. Um, and thinking, for example, you know, McDonald's hasn't officially pulled out yet, but they've paused their operations. And I, I read their press release the other day and, and they're saying 62,000 jobs would be affected. That's a lot. That's a lot of jobs. So I think there will be unemployment as well as a consequence of this. McDonald's is an interesting symbolic one, because, of course, for most people in the West, it represented a new era in, in that part of the world. And all of a sudden now, as it extracts or at least pauses, it feels like that era has, you know, that is one of the symbols of that era coming to an end. Do you think do you, when you look at it now, do you think this is a permanent decoupling, so to speak? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think right now uh, they're having a lot of hard questions, uh, the executives of, of McDonald's, about what to do. Um, because, of course, they, like so other so many other brands, they also own a lot of real estate. You know, they own their restaurants and McDonald's. They're not just franchisees for the most part. Um, so it's a little bit more complicated to pull out. But I think for a lot of other brands, they are definitely out, um, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, because, you know, having a presence in Russia has become rather toxic. So, it's, uh, it's going to take a very long time to rebuild those economic relations that have been blown up very quickly. One thing you pointed out, of course, in the times that you studied, but as well as the 90s, is that Russians are used to financial calamities. How would you classify this one compared to one's past? And how used, how ready is, our, is Russian society for this economic calamity? Yeah, I mean, this is something that historically they've had to deal with before with the ruble collapsing. I mean, the most recent one uh, that we can think about is in 2014 when the ruble collapsed. But even then they were able, the, the central bank intervened to prop up the currency, um, which they cannot do anymore, right? One of the, the ways that the sanctions target them is by freezing their access to their foreign currency reserves that they could use to buy rubles and generate demand for the ruble on the international currency market. They cannot do this in the same way now. So the ruble is, is essentially in free um, they found other backdoor ways to make sure it doesn't completely collapse. But these are, you know, how much longer are they going to be able to do things like have their, their oil and gas companies convert their, their dollar denominated or euro denominated income into rubles? It's unclear, especially since there's been rumblings that they'll stop importing Russian gas in the EU or putting bans on it outright in the case of other countries like the US. Um, so it's not clear how much longer they can do this. What does this mean for, for the ordinary person? Um, I mean, it means they're probably going to have to do without. Um, and for some people, you know, they the loss of something like H&M or Ikea might seem trivial. But for some of the younger people living in Russian society, you know, who have built their identities and their careers around having kind of modern westernized lifestyles, this is going to be rather devastating for them. It's gonna, and, but in your study of this, why is it? that there is so little, or at least the government feels so little pressure from this um, to change its course. Uh, you know, we, we know about the propaganda and so forth, but why is it that the government seems to be able to put the Russian people through these painful uh, 
painful times and not necessarily have to worry about changing course in Ukraine? This is a really good question. I mean, I, I tend to chalk it up to them, you know, narrowing opportunities to get feedback from the people. So I think there's a disconnect there on some level. I think they think that people will will tolerate it. They think they think that the sort of the long term payoff of this is worth it, and that people will want this. That you know, there's the sort of um, there's the appeal to kind of great power sentiment and all of this, you know, to, to feelings of humiliated national pride. They think that this is enough. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I've like everybody else, I've been struggling to get a good read on what people think in Russia, because of course they're, they're being fed a steady diet of propaganda. They're being, you know, there's progressively fewer independent media voices out there for them to listen to. Um, and they're disconnecting from the internet as well. I mean, now people don't have Instagram, don't have, you know, access to Facebook or Twitter. Their sources of information are narrowing by the minute. Um, but I, I tend to, I mean, I, I really tend to think that there, there are people who oppose this. I mean, nobody I know supports this, but I yeah. tend to exist in the liberal bubble when I go there, you know, when I, when I'm, you know, in the academic circles, when I'm, you know, in the cities, it's very different compared to other places. I'm speaking with Christy Ironside, professor of Russian history in the Department of History and Classical Studies at McGill University in Montreal, author of A Full Value Ruble, The Promise of Prosperity in the Post-War Soviet Union. After this, we'll talk a bit more about what could lie ahead. What options does Russia have to prop up the ruble as the West closes its doors? Is China an option? We've been hearing a lot about that over the weekend, and we'll talk about that right after this. I'm back with Christy Ironside, Professor of Russian History in the Department of History and Classical Studies at McGill University in Montreal and author of A Full Value Ruble, The Promise of Prosperity in the Post-War Soviet Union, uh, as we watch the ruble collapse uh, once again this time. Uh, Christy, when you look at the way, there's been a lot of talk over the weekend about at least China being reached out to for military help, um, but specifically one thinks of China as being a big financial backer of, of Russia at this stage. Just from your experience and, and, and your studies, how much how much will China be able to come to the aid of Russia and all this to prevent the worst from happening? And and how important is that for, for the Kremlin? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know there's been much talk of this, and of course Russia has some of its foreign currency reserves in Chinese currency. I read an estimate somewhere around 13%, something like this. But of course Russia is also disappointing a lot of Chinese investors. Uh, Russia is struggling to pay its foreign debt right now, so I think that that relationship, that economic relationship, is not maybe as tight or as solid as it could be. Um, also, Russia is not China's largest trading partner. It's maybe around 13, 14. Some something like this. Um, so I don't think that the, the relationship with China is the kind of miracle solution to all of its problems. Of course, uh, China is Russia's biggest uh, trading partner, I gather. Yeah. And so that's the thing. It's imbalanced. It's, it goes in the other direction. Which which historically is, is odd because for so long, that relationship between Russia and China very felt was very much, you know, the, the, the power was on the other foot for a very long time. Uh, so one wonders how that how that will that dynamic plays out. Um, yeah. What have, what have you made of the popular protests? Because we're seeing them. And I, I don't know if you've I mean, I've seen protests be broken up in Russia. Uh, it takes an incredible amount of bravery to protest anything, let alone an ongoing military, an ongoing war. Yeah, it's really worrying because they've imposed very steep penalties for even 
using the word war, right, for spreading fake news, as they're putting it right now, it's supposed to be a special military operation, a kind of euphemism for this. So it's very, very, uh, the penalties are really steep, 15 years for getting yourself uh, arrested at a protest this is huge. So people who are doing this are taking massive risks upon themselves. So what do you think happens now? You have this incredible crackdown on what was left of free speech. You have a decoupling in, in many ways of the Russian economy from the global economy, uh, not entirely, but certainly from the most important parts of it, the collapse of the ruble. Uh, what happens now? Honestly, I, I feel like my head's been spinning for the last two weeks. I have no idea. This has gone so much further and, and into such strange terrain <laughs> compared to anything that I possibly could have predicted. Um, I'm a historian. I'm not a political scientist or, a, or you know, a think tank person. I don't like to make predictions all that much. But unfortunately, I think we're heading into an even greater period of economic isolation, political isolation, and something resembling a pariah state, at least in the near future. Um, I, this seems to be heading in a really, really dark direction. Historically speaking, it's not the first time this has happened, but certainly it's the first time this has happened to a Russia that's so open in some senses to the world looking in on it. Exactly. I mean, when the Soviet Union was cut off economically from the rest of the world, Russia, you know, Imperial Russia had sort of integrated, but, you know, at that point, capitalism in Russia was not that old, right? We can really only say that Russia started to have a capitalist economy in the late 19th century, much later than other places. Um, And then, you know, it took them a long time to be able to build trading partners and things like this, because people were so, you know, outraged at what they had done in in 1917 to the Tsar, but also, you know, what they had, what they had done um, when they defaulted on the bonds, when they had, you know, decided to not pay back the Tsar's foreign debt, it took them a long time to rebuild those trade relations. And then in the late Soviet period, finally, you know, they had interest in doing foreign trade with them, you know, Pepsi, McDonald's, all of the rest, but it took decades to get there. So what's, what's happening right now could take decades to be rebuilt, should Russia go in a different direction. And I guess therein lies therein lies the issue. How much, how effective will this be as a political tool to try to either end the war in Ukraine, or or place pressure on Russia not to do this again? Because it feels like the sanctions. Of course, you see them. You, obviously, they're biting. But how effective a tool are they ultimately? I mean, we have to hope that this is going to at least constrain some of their ability to act. Um, I don't I don't get the sense that they expected sanctions on the scale that they've been applied. Um, they had to expect some of them. And they had took some steps after 2014 to sanction proof the economy, moving foreign currency assets out of dollars and into you know, euros or into Chinese currency or into gold. Russia has a massive stockpile of gold, um, but they're not finding very many buyers for that gold at the moment. So in some ways, this is going to... Uh, this is going to change their behavior, but one has to worry that it's also going to promote recklessness at the same time as well. I was going to say, what is the danger of an isolated Russia? It's very dangerous. Um, this is a nuclear power. Um, Putin has made sort of vague statements that economic warfare is, is sort of tantamount to war. So it's really, you know, it's very worrying. And this and these Sanctions clearly are, 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 if you were inside Russia now, these sanctions are clearly seen as being uh, debilitating, I would imagine, and, and, you know, a proof of just how much the West can, can, can pull a trigger if they want to. Absolutely. What, uh, I, I guess, as the last question, then, if this were to continue and we end up, where do you see, just historically speaking, what, what, is, what would happen 
within Russia in the next little while. Uh, if you look back at the history of Russia being isolated this way, the history of the ruble collapsing, what do you predict? We've seen, you know, in the nineties, in the, in the late eighties and in, you know, a hundred years ago, it led to revolution. There was a complete change of regime in China, in, uh, in Russia. Uh, it doesn't feel like this will happen. That It doesn't feel like will happen this way, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, right now, I don't think we're, we're at the stage of, of revolution or anything like this, but of course, you know, part of me really wonders how much longer people are going to support Putin, because one of the things he said when he came to power was that he was never going to let the bad days of the 1990s happen again, when people saw their life savings evaporate because the ruble collapsed, when people were really suffering, when, you know, they were doing without. He said that he was going to promote stability. And yet in this instance, we see that he's the one who has brought instability back. So it really is a big question how much longer people will put up with it. Is there anyone... Is there any alternative system of power around? I don't know. It doesn't really feel don't. like it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. it Christy Ironside, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you.